For episode number 34, I have Mary Heffernan joining us from Five Mary's Farms. I am so grateful to Mary for taking the time to come on and share her journey with us and what her and her husband Brian have accomplished with their four beautiful girls on their first generation journey. I think you're going to really be inspired by her story and she also shared so many wonderful tips for all of us on our agricultural journeys no matter how far along we are on them. So I hope you'll enjoy this episode. Be sure to follow Mary and her family at Five Mary's Farms on Instagram and make sure you check out their website as well at the end of this episode, fivemarysfarms.com. I am really excited also for you all to learn of her course, M5 Small Business Academy. This is a fantastic course and you've heard a lot of guests mention this that have come on already and they've had wonderful success in this course. I'm looking forward to taking it myself and I can't wait to hear how Mary's going to inspire you and help you on your journey. Let's head on into it. Welcome to the Ranching Brunette Podcast. I am your host, Logan Robinson, and this is the podcast for aspiring first-generation ranchers by an aspiring first-generation rancher with one goal in mind, to get America ranching again. Hi, Mary. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm incredibly honored to be having this conversation with you. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here to chat with you today. Oh, it's going to be so much fun. And you have been one of the most requested guests on the podcast from day one. So I cannot wait to hear your story from the start. Will you walk us through your beautiful journey that led you and your husband into being first generation ranchers and how Five Mary's Farms came to life? For sure. It was, you know, kind of a serendipitous and circuitous route to becoming first generation ranchers. It's not something that we ever imagined or something that we really even set out to do, but we're, we're so happy this is where we are and, and what we're doing now. I was raised in Silicon Valley and uh, Menlo Park and had a pretty traditionally suburban lifestyle. I had a great childhood. My dad was an attorney. My mom was a stay-at-home mom and I'm the oldest of four kids. And I kind of always had a, like an entrepreneurial drive. I was starting backyard summer camps and I loved the the small business side of things, even from a young age, but I didn't really know or understand that being an entrepreneur was something you could do. (laughs) So I (laughs) was also really interested in the medical field and um, went to college in Virginia to pursue pre-med and hope to go on to medical school. And then after college, I started um, tutoring some kids while I was studying for the MCAT and ended up starting a tutoring company. Um... And realized that I just loved business and I didn't really want to go to medical school. So I, um, that sort of put me on a different path than I expected, but I'm, I've always had this, you know, excitement and passion for starting new businesses and finding a niche and filling it with, um, you know, a service or a product that really serves customers. I love the logo design and, you know, thanks to the age we live in, it's so easy to build your own website and create your own brand. And I really kind of love doing all that as a one woman show. So I met Brian shortly after, and he was an attorney at a big firm in the Bay Area. And we got married pretty quickly after we met. We were so similar in a lot of ways and kind of misfits in the Bay Area. You know, he drove a pickup <laughs> truck and I had big wheels and tires on my truck. And we were happy to find each other amongst a lot of people who who weren't like us. So you know, people ask my mom now, you know, is it just so shocking to you that Mary ended up in 
you know, the small rural town ranching. And my mom's like, no, not at all. That's who she <laughs> is. And I, you know, I, I always expected that she would do something like that. Aww. So we, we started out very, you know, in suburban lifestyle when we had our girls and working, I started a few more businesses, you know, filling the niche for family-based businesses in the Bay Area. It was really a land of opportunity at that point with when it, which it still is, you know, all of the tech boom and so many people in one place. And for an entrepreneur, it's a great place to run businesses. And Brian started kind of tending more towards the entrepreneurial side. With me, he left his big firm and started his own law practice. And then we opened restaurants together, which was sort of, we call ourselves accidental restaurateurs because it wasn't <laughs> something we set out to do. But we saw a need for a place that families could find really great food and take their kids and go together as a family and not you know have to leave in six minutes when the kids are done with their chicken fingers. So we wanted good food sourced well, a menu for kids that was healthy and, you know, even beyond stuff that you might even want to cook for your kids at home, but you felt good about feeding your family. And so it was in this quest for well-sourced, really good quality meats for our restaurants that we, we did a ton of research on what makes a really premium quality meat, specifically beef. And you know, we did, we had some amazing chefs that we worked with. And every Thursday night in our, in our kitchen, we'd have these burger tastings where we were like, okay, this one's dry aged this long, and this is this breed. And this one was raised here. And we kind of started at that end and said, how, how do you, what's the best way to produce an amazing quality product that you feel good about that's raised well. And, and it really came down to this formula that we felt was the best combo with Black Angus cattle that had started with great genetics because that's a big part of it to get, you know, the good marbling and the good flavors. And we wanted to finish on barley. We didn't want the purely grass-fed and grass-finished because it left it's kind of during different seasons. It wouldn't have the consistency. So we really wanted the steam-flaked barley as a finishing ration. And we wanted an extended dry age. So we wanted a 21 to 28-day dry age, which was what we found was kind of the sweet spot. So after literally a year of research, we said, this is what we want. This is what we want to serve our customers. And then we couldn't find it. We just couldn't find a ranch that was like, yeah, I can do that, you know, do that custom for you. Or everybody had did things a little differently, or they couldn't supply year round, which is, you know, obviously a big hurdle for most farms and ranches. And it's just not a priority. And so we kind of looked at each other like, well, maybe we should just do this ourselves. <laughs> you know, I think we, we had an ulterior motive that we were like, that means we could have more land and ranch and have a place that we could go on the weekends. And so Brian and I, you know, don't shy away from big ideas and kind of our jump first and work hard to make it work kind of people. So we started looking for property and um, found this ranch pretty quickly, or we say it found us because it wasn't really in a place that we had done a lot of research or extensively looked at. But this one ranch that a realtor showed us on a dreary day in November just kind of stuck out to us. And we made an offer and we owned it by December 27th and kind of then looked at each other like, okay, now <laughs> we need to be, we need to learn how to be ranchers. <laughs> Luckily, my brother-in-law, Brian's, um, Brian's youngest sister married a fifth generation cattle rancher from Eastern Oregon, Donald Doverspike, the Hotchkiss Ranch. And he was and has been and always will be a huge asset to us in making sure that we're not making dumb mistakes and setting things up correctly from the beginning and just bouncing, you know, ideas off. So we were lucky to have that support going into it. And 
Brian's dad was in agriculture, um, not ranching, but he was a farmer and mentored a lot of people early in his career and unfortunately got sick with Parkinson's really young and had to stop working. But the people who he had mentored before he was sick kind of came full circle and came out of the woodwork to help us get started. And so we, we were very fortunate to have a great network of people helping us start this operation. And that was five years ago. And it's been seven days a week, hard we- hard work every day since then. But we're, we're pretty happy we ended up here. You guys have such a beautiful story. I loved learning of your story when I was first hearing about you. And this is earlier this year. And just the way you guys so gracefully came into this and you took all your experience, your business experience, and just made this happen as first-generation ranchers. And it's so inspiring for somebody like me who's still very early in my stages and working my way up to see a success story like you and Brian's. And it's just inspiring. And the way you guys share it on your social media and the way your website is designed, where it's just encouraging when folks discover who you guys are and what you've been through and what you've built. It's so encouraging to see that be able to come to fruition, especially in today's world where a lot of folks get discouraged trying to get into agriculture. And I just have to say, you guys are an incredible example and role model. And I love learning of your story. And I know other folks listening in on this are going to be really inspired by that too. Oh, well, thank you. I think, you know, we are very lucky to live in this age of the internet and social media, which gets such a bad rap for so many different things, (laughs) but really it allows us to share our story and to, you know, tell the story of agriculture, which so many people are doing so well now by, by using that platform. So we moved from a bustling, booming metropolis to a town of 680. That's a fantastic community for our family and for our girls but can be a hard place to, to make a living. So it's solely because of social media and honestly, Instagram, which is our main platform that has allowed us to grow and share our story and tell our story. And, you know, I think I have a unique perspective because I'm new to agriculture where it has allowed me to kind of connect with people who uh, aren't familiar with, you know, the agricultural lifestyle or even ranching or, or raising meat because I sort of see things still as they might see them, where somebody who's been ranching their whole life or for generations is like, well, of course, that's the way you do it. Like, (laughs) this is nothing new. This is nothing exciting. And I'm like, wait, what? Yes, it is. I can't believe this. So, you know, it it really allows me, I think, to connect with people because, um, because I am, I am new at this and I can sort of identify what um, is helpful to educate people or to share with them to, tell the story of, of what we do. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. It's really uh, just a breath of fresh air for first generation ranchers to be able to come in and just see this from a totally different angle, like you were saying, and each day brings a new surprise. And I think it's great how you guys share that on Instagram, because Instagram is a great platform for folks just to learn more. Like you were saying, people who don't have the opportunity to be able to see day-to-day ranch life or farm life. Right. And I I think it's so important for people, you know, not to get discouraged and to know that there are so many ways and so many different avenues to find profitability in farming or ranching or agriculture. You just kind of have to get creative. And, you know, I think that the times are really changing with agriculture now. Unfortunately, it's becoming harder and harder for small family farms that have been doing this forever to continue making a living the way that they were doing things, you know, just getting squeezed by the commodities markets and regulations and all these different things. But starting out new, you almost have a slight advantage because it's harder to change the way things have always been done than it is to start and look at things from different angles and say, well, if we did it this way, you know, there's going to be 
potentially more profit, or if we did it this way, that might work to meet this current need or this current niche. So going into it, there are a lot of inputs that you have to think about starting farming and ranching. You know, it's not, it's not a business that you can just kind of put your toe in the water because the infrastructure and tractors and silos and feed and land and livestock and vet bills and everything else, you know, it's there, there are a lot of inputs, but what's also changing is that people around America want to connect more with their food and want to connect more with where it's coming from, who's raising it, how it's raised and the story behind it. And by, by doing that, you can find so much more value in your end product by getting it direct to the consumer. You're skipping multiple middlemen on most of these products. So there's a lot of opportunity to make a living by getting into ranching. You just really have to look at what your niche is and how to find those margins. And a lot of it is in, in telling your story and, and reaching a greater audience. Thank you for sharing that. That's you're, you got so many great points in that last little section there. And it's just really neat, your viewpoint on that. And you're absolutely right of how many different opportunities there are available. Thanks to today's, where we're at in today's world with so many different things. And your business platform is incredible. It's, it's so innovative. And for those who may not be familiar with Five Marys and all the different aspects of your business, will you share with us the ways you serve your customers? Sure. So we started out when we moved to the ranch and um, we knew we had to create a totally new business model because we didn't want to have to commute or keep our day job. So, you know, that was the plan originally is that we'll just continue working and living full time in the Bay Area and we'll commute up on the weekends and we'll have a ranch manager to help us during the week. And we quickly realized that that was totally naive and we couldn't do both things well. And we also didn't want someone else taking care of the animals for us when we were away. We wanted to be the ones jumping into this to do this full time. So we sold our businesses, sold our house, moved into a 760 square foot cabin and oh, wow. you know, started putting all the paper and said, how, how are we going to make this work? And obviously, you know, selling meat to customers, we knew we had a great product. We knew we could sell it. The main challenge was distribution. We didn't really want to jump into the farmer's market world. For us as consumers in the Bay Area, it was really saturated and people kind of stopped going to farmer's markets to truly connect with their farmer. It was more just about an event and face paint and balloons. And, you know, we were like, we can't spend all, you know, time traveling there and time sitting at a table selling some meat. Like we need a better, we need a more efficient way to do this. So we looked at doing deliveries and thought, well, if we just go down to the Bay Area once a month and we can, you know, find drop spots and, and do deliveries. And we tried that the first time and I called Brian and was like, nope, this is not it either. This is not sustainable. You know, we didn't change lifestyle to be back in, in, tra in traffic. So we didn't want to leave the ranch. So shipping seemed the obvious solution. It was just not an easy method of getting, you know, perishable frozen meats to customers, but I knew it was doable. You know, anything's possible and we're used to big obstacles and finding a way to get over them. So it took about a year, maybe a year and a half to navigate boxes and insulated liners and something that was, you know, felt like our brand, like five Mary's that was sustainable, that didn't, you know, come in a big styrofoam box that you couldn't get rid of. We realized that you had to use dry ice to really ensure your product would arrive in perfect condition. 
And I had to negotiate UPS and FedEx shipping rates and figure out how to ship boxes overnight without it costing an arm and a leg. And that, you know, the biggest challenge in that is when you're small, if you're just shipping a few boxes, it's hard to get around it. Once you start shipping volume, then you get those discounts. But there's there were ways to make it happen. And we figured out what those were. We built an e-commerce site and took pictures of every cut of our meat and encouraged some recipes and launched our website and have been selling meat direct to consumers to their doorstep, shipped overnight in this great reusable box on dry ice for four years. And we just shipped our 21,000th order. We did a big celebration for 20,000 orders, but we were already wow. 21,000 orders in, in less than four years. And uh, we have a very loyal customer base who, you know, they'll be on vacation and say, I, I went to the grocery store and the meat wasn't the same. So I, I, can you send it to us here on vacation? And, you know, we, we have that relationship where people get to see inside our lifestyle and really feel like they're a part of what we're doing, raising these animals and feel good about buying these meats and feel a connection to our brand and our story. So our, our main business model will always be providing customers with our meats direct to their doorstep. We don't do wholesale. We don't do restaurants. We want to connect with those customers and get it right to them. We also started a restaurant in town, which Brian and I, after we sold our restaurants in the Bay Area, said the restaurants were so hard. We said, we're never doing a restaurant again. <laughs> and then the beautiful historic restaurant and bar in our downtown came up for sale and it had a full commercial kitchen and a liquor license. And we'd already been um, working with a distillery partner, some friends of ours, Alchemy Distillery, to do our own whiskey and bourbon. We just couldn't really say no to this opportunity. So we bought the bar Thanksgiving weekend two years ago and did a crazy six-week rehab and opened up on New Year's Eve and tried to do a soft launch and just tell a few locals, you know, we were going to try it and we're, you know, we're serving all our own meats and we're really proud of this menu and our specialty cocktails that we've kind of the sidecar, the M5 sidecar that we've sort of make, made a name for. And, you know, you don't really soft launch in a small town. So we had 300 people come the first night. Wow. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that many people. And, but you know, the, the kegs were tapped and everybody was happy and it was kind of like one, a, a big town party. So we, we, we closed down for another week and, you know, worked out all the kinks and how to actually get people food in a quick, quick amount of time and not have everybody there for three hours. And, <laughs> and we reopened. So Five Mary's Burger House, we're open six days a week serving lunch and dinner. It's a really neat way to showcase our meats, to share our recipes and to, you know, feel like we're feeding our community. We have live music every Friday night and Brian and I joke that it kind of feels like opening our living room because, you know, you don't have to go to friends' houses for dinner parties when everybody just shows up at the same place and your restaurant kind of feels like you're hosting a dinner party every Friday night. But it's a great, you know, spot for local ranchers and cowboys and loggers to come in for lunch. And, and we also get a huge percentage of people who come from all over that kind of want to experience the Five Marys brand. And so they'll travel from all over. I mean, we're a good 25 minutes off the freeway. So it's an, it's an hour out of your way. And every day we have people come for lunch or dinner who are driving through from, you know, California to Oregon and will come stop five Marys. And we've had people come from Germany. There was one couple who was traveling in Canada and they thought, Oh, it's not that far. <laughs> like, Oh my goodness. <laughs> it is, but we would love to have you. So it's been a really neat way to kind of reach 
into those little Instagram squares and connect with these people who follow us there, but get to come and eat and experience Five Marys. And then we also have a farm store in town where we sell our all of our ranch goods and you know our trucker hats and our Carhartt beanies and our spice rubs and honey and sea salt and cookbooks. And we ship all of our meat out of the farm store. So it's wow. it's uh, probably 98% of our orders leave on the FedEx or the UPS truck from the back of our shop. But we do get a little bit of local and visitor traffic every day that comes in the store as well. And then we are... Our next big project is Five Mary's Custom Meat Co., which we're really excited about. We're building our own USDA processing butchery plant, which is a huge undertaking. It's probably the biggest project Brian and I have ever taken on to date. But the idea of vertical integration, where we're the ones breeding our cattle, birthing our cattle, raising them, finishing them, feeding them, caring for them, and producing this really premium product for our customers it's hard to turn that over to someone else for the butchery and get back, you know, what you get back in your boxes. You know, we're really particular about the way our steaks are cut and our sausage grind and our ground beef trim. And we found processors who do a great job, but they're, we drive long distances to them or they can't do exactly what we want. You know, we want to do custom jerkies and smoked bacons and all these things. And we've just kind of, it's been in the back of our mind for a few years, like we're going to have to, do this if we want to really do this right. And so we've been kind of working on the ideas and meeting with engineers and looking at the, you know, latest and greatest equipment. And so we have it about 90% of the way designed right now. We bought land for it. We're not building it on the ranch. We're building it at a location that's a little more central to the freeway so that we can do other small farms and ranches custom processing as well. And we are we hope to break ground in a few months and probably be a year build. But that will be really exciting for us. We'll be able to do kind of the next level in product for our customers, like a really high nutrient-rich ground beef grind that has, you know, heart and liver and some of the offal in it. We'll be able to do a dog food line. Like there's, it really opens up a lot of possibilities for us um, to serve our customers and also to serve the local area. You know, most people are driving three to five hours to the butcher and you know, there's, there's more and more of a need, the pendulum swinging back where customers want to buy direct from a farmer and USDA custom processing is kind of the Achilles heel. I know in most areas in the country, but especially yeah. uh, where we are. So we're, we're really excited about that project. It's going to be a, a big one. <laughs> you guys are incredible. I mean, this is amazing. Just listening to you talking about all this and how it's come full circle for you to be able to handle everything from start truly to finish. And I think that's incredible. And this is going to be just a huge deal when you get to get this opened up after your year build. And what a neat way just to serve your customers completely from start to finish. And you can answer all the questions along the way. And there's no doubt in your mind. And I'm just picturing this in your little town from where your ranch is set to the burger house and your ranch goods store and then now to have your meat processing plant, this is going to be incredible. And I'm going to have to come down and visit. I've been to California in a long time, but this just sounds <laughs> so beautiful. Just the setting and the way you explained it all. And you guys are truly inspiring. This is incredible what you've built. Oh, well, thank you. There's there's always a lot going on, but we love to have, um, we love to share it with people when they come. And that's kind of what is so great about the burger house. And we also bought um, a little guest house in town that's walking distance to the burger house that we call Five Mary's Guest House. And we Airbnb that so people can come stay. Oh, nice. And then we built a really first class camping 
area on our ranch that we call more glamping than camping because it's uh, we've got luxury tents and wall tents and really great you know flannel bedding and really nice mattresses and these custom beds brian made and we built this really beautiful outdoor kitchen pavilion with a commercial kitchen in the back so that we can invite people to come have meals with us we bring in our friend chef tyler who does these incredible spreads and we have had people come for retreats where you come for a weekend to kind of experience ranch life we're doing some workshops now with it but it's it's only uh it's not winter proof it's it's like you know a great way to enjoy the outdoors and the benefits of california where we don't have humidity (laughs) and we don't really have bugs up there and we can eat outside everyone's always looking on instagram like how are you eating outside at seven o'clock on a summer night like aren't you getting eaten alive so we just closed camp down for the winter but that is also a fun way for us to kind of share our brand and our family and and what we do here with other people yeah I love your Instagram where you show the pictures of your camp and all the fun things you do your table setting that spread is just beautiful outside and oh it's just fantastic and I wonder wonder the same thing with the bugs here in Montana we don't get a whole lot of bugs but it usually gets cold even in the summer once the sun starts going down and California is a beautiful setting to be able to host something like that. And you guys do a fantastic job of photographing that and documenting that on your social media platforms. It's really just a beautiful setting. Thank you. It's a lot of fun. We, we uh, enjoy just even eating out there as a family together in the summer. Yeah. Gosh, everything you've told me so far, you must be so busy all the time. I'm sure you got a team helping you here and there, but that's got to be some full days year round. They are full days. And you know, our girls are really our team. We kind of pride ourselves in running really lean because employees can sometimes be more more work than help. Um, (laughs) We have been through a few ranch hands here and there, and um, we're, we're without a ranch hand right now. So it's just us. We have a a 16 year old neighbor who helps us after school. And then we have two interns in the shop who help my, I I have a right-hand girl in the shop, Haley, who's amazing and does all of our order fulfillment and customer service type things and helps me manage inventory. And she's just, I couldn't do it without her. But other than that, you know, we, we run really lean and uh, we rely on our kids to help us. And, you know, they'll be up before school to jump on a feed truck with us and they're the ones out there feeding the bottle babies. And Aww. it really is a big part of why we, did, we we wanted to do this lifestyle. And we wanted to be the ones out there, out there working. Absolutely. And what a beautiful way for your girls to be brought up. And for folks listening in who are just being introduced to you and your story, will you share with us how you guys came up with your name for Five Marys Farms? Yes. So my name is Mary and I come from a long line of Marys and the family, both my grandmother's actually three of my aunts, there's great grandmothers on Brian's side. There's so many Marys that when our first, we were pregnant with our first, we were always surprised if it was going to be a girl or a boy, but we decided to name her Mary Frances after Brian's side of the family. And then we got pregnant again. We said, well, if it's a girl, we should also name her after my side of the family. And so she's Mary Marjorie after my grandmother and great aunt. And Brian and I both come from big families of four and five and are about half and half boys and girls. So we figured, okay, well, we'll probably have boys now because that's what's supposed to happen. And we just kept having girls. (laughs) And once we had two Marys, we couldn't really just change and have Mary, Mary and Sally. So we had to keep going. Um, Luckily, there were plenty of Marys to choose from. So our third is Mary Jane named after my dad's mom. And she goes by Janie or JJ. And then our last baby of the family who 
uh, loves her role as the baby is Mary Teresa and her nickname is Tessa. So Francie, Maisie, Janie, and Tessa are our four little Marys. Um, they're given double first names. So when we moved to the ranch, Brian said, you know, we should sell our, our product as, as five Marys and, and that should be our brand. And we're like, well, you know, won't you feel excluded? And he's like, no, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> so that's sort of where, where we got the name five Marys. And it's fun because it, you know, the girls really feel a part of it and, and it sticks. It helps people remember us as, you know, that, that crazy family with all their children marry. <laughs> I love it. It's a beautiful story. And I am the oldest of five girls. So uh, my mom definitely went through what you were going through. At some point, there must be a boy coming along, but for three <laughs> generations, and now my sister started having babies and they've had girls. It's been nothing but girls. So that's kind of like our family legacy now. I think whoever brings a boy in is it's going to be totally shocking and people will probably have a heart attack, but it's so <laughs> right? fun to have a house full of girls. Oh, that's awesome. I know that the girl thing is really fun. And, you know, I, I don't think that we would be able to do as well in our tiny little house that we said, well, we'll live here for a year and then we'll build a bigger house. And we just got here and realized that we don't need much space because we're outside all the time. And when we do come in, we just want to be cozy. And so the girls all share, we kind of bumped up into the attic and they share a room up there. But we're still in a you know tiny one bathroom, no heat except our wood stove, no amenities, little cabin, and um, we don't really have plans to to change anything. We we love the closeness that it brings our family, and you know that having the girls all all snuggled in here is kind of a, a bonus that we didn't didn't expect. Yeah. Oh, your cabin is beautiful too. And for those listening in, if you want to check it out, um, hashtag M Five Cabin. Is that right, Mary? Yes. It's got all those cute pictures on there of just this beautiful little home you guys have. And it is so cozy. You're absolutely right. And you really don't need a lot of space when you're living this kind of lifestyle because you can just kind of enjoy something a little bit smaller. Yeah, it's very true. Less house, more home. Absolutely. I love that. Okay. So I have to know as first generation ranchers, what were the biggest challenges you and Brian had to overcome during the whole ranch startup? You know, I think in in ranching, the challenges don't stop. <laughs> they, you know, yeah. in starting, starting out, it was really a learning curve in figuring out what, you know, the best systems were and just so much to learn between, you know, pulling calves and castrating piglets and raising sheep and feeding and winter and mud and, you know, learning the land and where the, the, the wet spots were and the draws go. And there was just a lot to learn. And, you know, we continue to face obstacles every day and you kind of just have to keep a smile on your face and keep pushing forward and know that, you know, there it's kind of comes with the territory, which is a lot like any job or any profession in life. But, you know, ranching, you don't have a choice because those animals have to get fed. And, you know, we're having these statewide power outages in California. And luckily, we're a little bit farther north than most of them. But our feed, our pig feed grange couldn't deliver because they didn't have power. And so the augers weren't working and, you know, we didn't, we don't want to change ration on our pigs or, you know, do anything differently. So Brian gets the call, jumps in the car, drives four hours with a flatbed, fills up a bunch of totes and drives four hours home. And, you know, I'm covering everything on the ranch and he's home by dark. And it's just one of those things you think, you know, oh, geez, this is a big problem. And you have to just find that solution and, and make it happen you know, financially, it's, there's always a lot of inputs and there's good days and bad days and good months and bad months. And I think it's really just about pushing forward and changing your business model a little bit. If you, if you need to, to really find those margins and find profit and 
you know, like I said, there are so many ways to find profit right now using the internet, using social media, that sometimes you have to get creative and your main source of income might not be working at that time. And you have to, you know, start a side business or do something else on top of it or find another outlet. And there's so many ways to do that, you know, renting out space or hosting events or doing a podcast or doing an ebook or, you know, there's all kinds of ways that you can find profit if you really put your head into it and and get creative and might mean a couple more hours at night after, uh, you know, all your normal chores are done. But I think it's, it's a real way to continue this lifestyle, even when you're faced with big challenges and which, you know, the financial ones are are usually the ones that are going to be the most make or break. Yeah. Oh, that's great advice. Thank you for that. And what were the big motivators for you all? Or what are the big motivators to keep going when you face these challenges? No other option. (laughs) You know, we we joke, we don't want to go back to our somewhat corporate lifestyle or, you know, just like people talk about not wanting to have to get a job in town and you know, when you're motivated to work for your own land and for your family, there really aren't any other options. And so you knowing that you have to keep pushing forward. And when you have animals, they have to be fed, you know, twice a day, there's, there's no two ways around it. And that's your priority. We always say there, our animals eat before we eat. So there's time doesn't stop. uh, Because there's, you know, a big issue that you still have to take care of your animals first and foremost. And I think that puts a lot of things in perspective for us. And I know it does for our girls as well. Oh, that's great. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. It's kind of do or die. Like you're in it and you've got animals and a family relying on you and you just got to get through even those the toughest of days. Yeah, exactly. All right, Mary, now for the part I'm most excited for, as this podcast is all about serving aspiring ranchers and farmers, let's talk your M5 small business from scratch. Give us all the details from the why behind creating it to the tools your academy provides small business owners. For sure. I'm really excited about this too. It's been something that I've been working on for a few years. You know, I'm so passionate about small business when you know, all of a sudden done, I've opened 19 small businesses in 20 years. And I love the entrepreneurial aspect of here's a need, here's a niche. Let's find a way to make this happen. And Brian with his legal background has always been really helpful and you know, entity formation and insurance and payroll and employees and all those things for me. And a lot of people just don't have access to ask those questions when they're starting out. And I've, like I said, I've always been a one woman show. Like I sit up late at night messing around on Adobe Illustrator until I find a logo that I'm happy with and I'll build my own website and set up my own e-commerce. And those things are really easy to do. I think it's scary for people to think, oh, I can't start a business. I'd have to hire a graphic designer and a web designer and somebody to, you know, take the photos and do the video and manage my social media. And it's like, well, that's not going to be a very successful business starting out. If you have to hire all those people, you have to be the one to make it work and you can. So this course that I've created is called You Can Do It and it's small business from scratch. And it's literally everything you need to know from start to finish to form your idea, you know, carefully understand what your margins are going to look like. Will this be sustainable? I like to say in the course that a business is just a hobby unless it makes money, (laughs) you know, that it's nobody wants to talk about money, but a business has to make money. So it really focuses on actually finding a profit and turning, you know, your idea, if it is a viable one into a business. And then I like to call the course a roadmap because it's not something that you need to sit down and do a lesson a night and try to finish it. 
it's all the material that you need chapter by chapter to reference when you need it. So if you're in the idea formation stage, you can you know work through the social media module, which there's three modules in the course, small business from scratch, using social media from scratch, and then shipping and especially selling online and shipping perishables, which is really specific to a lot of people in agriculture who want to sell their products, whether it's, you know, honey or meat or turkeys, Thanksgiving, how to get those products in the hands of consumers. So the course is available as the complete course where you can do all three modules and use the material that you need when you need it. We teach a lot of tools for marketing and branding and how to use Adobe Creative Suite and where to go to start building your website and how to get started and then how to grow and how to know when you're ready to hire your first employee and when you are, how to manage employee manuals and all the legalities that come with hiring employees. And it's been really neat to see this course kind of take shape. I started less than a year ago in February, I hosted 15 women to come to Fort Jones to kind of help me flesh out what I had created and see where my gaps were and what questions they had. So I taught the whole course in a weekend and helped these 15 women with their businesses. They all were in agriculture, most sold either beef, pork, lamb, chicken, or eggs, or, you know, some kind of actual farm products. And it was just a really neat experience. You know, these friendships and camaraderie that was formed between between these women is something that's so unusual this day and age. You know, I, I feel like women don't get the chance to find people with common goals and you know, be able to support each other. Um, And that's what we found in this first workshop. And we were all staying up until two in the morning, helping each other, you know, build their websites and getting logos made and helping people figure out where to buy insulated bags and where to order brochures and how to format them. And, And then so I did another one in March and had another 15 women all over the US and Canada. And by then I felt like the course was really strong and had all the bases covered. So I released it as an online course so that anybody can have access to the material. You don't have to travel to Fort Jones, which I know for people, especially in agriculture, can be really hard to leave the ranch. So there are 69 videos. Each chapter has a video where I teach the material. Each chapter has downloads from worksheets, a little bit of homework to help you get organized, suggestions, places to look for creative funding for creative marketing. And everything's really designed to be done on a dime. You know, it's not go hire this person. It's here's how you can find a workaround to do this yourself. And I I like to teach the 90% rules that it's it's never going to be launched if it's perfect. So you have to get it 90% of the way there. And and that's going to be good enough. And if you do, you can keep rolling and finessing as you go and, and keep the momentum moving forward instead of getting stuck on that final 10%. So We've done a few more workshops and we're actually having a reunion in Palm Springs with 25 of the women who have been to previous workshops who have all created these really neat friendships and to continue kind of refining our businesses. But it's, you know, you get to see on social media what happens after this. And there's 400 people enrolled in the course now. And we're all in a community group on this forum called Mighty Networks. It's kind of like a Facebook group, but it's our own app that we have on our phone that you can jump on and say, Hey, I'm having trouble with, you know, the shipment, or I was invited on this podcast. Like anybody have any tips? And, you know, I've just released my first product. I'm so proud. Does anybody have any feedback on my website? And what's been the most neat to see is all these women and, you know, their families and spouses supporting each other and buying each other's products and ordering each other's goods, tagging each other. And 
it's really created this community of entrepreneurialism and this spirit of you can do it, but we can do it. And we're all in this together. And it's been really neat to see these businesses thriving in, in less than a year and creating a lot of opportunity in, in small farms and ranches that have been doing this for generations, but kind of realized they were at a point where it might not sustain to the next generation unless they changed things. You know, so I'll have pep talks with somebody who's like, okay, I'm having the big talk with my father-in-law and remind me like <laughs> why we're doing this and, and telling me the next day, like it worked and we're doing it and we're building a barn and we registered our LLC and we're going to make this happen. And for me, it's been really rewarding and that I am excited for where we're going to continue to take this course. I'm so amazed at what you've done with this course. And a lot of the guests who have come on my podcast are in your course and they rave about it. And it's so neat to see their success as they work through the course. So for folks listening in that may be halfway through starting their business, or maybe they've been in it for 10 years, should they be able to jump right into the course from start to finish? Or do you recommend they pick certain parts of the course? How would you kind of guide somebody that maybe is already through getting their logo and their LLC going? So the course is offered as the complete course, or you can do just the social media module, but we really recommend the whole course just because a lot of it is refining. And, you know, just because you have a logo and website, you might want to, you know, create an ebook one day or create your own brochure or get invited to a big event where you need to make a banner and really up your marketing game. And so it kind of gives you the tools to grow as well, even if you already have a strong foundation. But the social media module is also available on its own and a good place to start to kind of get your feet wet and figure out the best ways to use social media to monetize your brand, you know, how to outwit the the crazy algorithm everyone talks about, which is, you know, Instagram showing people certain posts, but not every post. And it's really there to work for you. You know, it's not a bad thing. It's if you're putting out great content, then the right people are going to see it. So it's trying to figure out how to do that and how to turn your audience into customers. Because it's not about the numbers, in my opinion. You know, it's not how many followers you have. It's how loyal your brand is and how close your audience feels connected so that when you have a product to sell, you're successful at it. Oh, absolutely. That's great. Thank you for clarifying that. Because I think, you know, a lot of folks, they get going and then, you know, there's holes that we miss. I think every business owner faces this where you'll get through somewhere and you're going along and you're a couple years in and you might've missed a couple things that would really help you out. So I would definitely agree with you starting from the beginning and working your way through. And if nothing else, it'll reassure you of what you've already done correctly and then help you find some of those mistakes or what you might need to refine and improve on. Yep, exactly. All right. So being that you have successfully started so many businesses over the last 20 years and have helped numerous entrepreneurs launch theirs, what is the most common thing you see new business owners missing in their marketing approach or social media presence? You know, I think the way social media starts with the word social for a reason, and it's all about connecting. And when you can connect with people that's where you're going to convert them to be your customer. And that's really the goal. If you're going to devote a lot of time to your social media as a brand or as a business, you know, sure, social media is fun and it's fun to share pictures of your kids and get feedback from friends and family, but it's a lot of work. And if you are going to put the work into using it as a tool, you want to make sure that you're getting something back and, you know, perfectly curated feeds with you know, a beautiful grid, it's really kind of going by the wayside. There's a lot of 
accounts that you can go to to find beautiful pictures. But what people connect with is you and your brand. And and I, I think people are naturally voyeuristic. Like they want to see inside your world, whether it's the same as theirs or different than theirs. That comparison of like, oh, wow, this person's living a really different life on this Tuesday than I am. Like, I'm interested to see how their day goes. It's not just, oh, look at this pretty picture of this pretty product. Do I want to buy it? And I think that's really where we've come with this oversharing culture in social media. And so if, if you can find a way to tell your story and connect with your audience and use that to convert them into customers, that's really what you're doing right. Oh, that's so good. I'm glad you, that's a great way of how you put that. It's just, it's social for a reason. And I think that's the difference between social media and Pinterest. Like Pinterest is where you go for all those pretty pictures and whatnot. But when folks are on Instagram right. or even Facebook, they're wanting that connection and to know that there's somebody behind that pretty grid and behind that account name. Exactly. It's really, it's really important. I always tell everybody to make sure their, their face is in at least every 12 pictures, because when you go to someone's grid, you know, that's like a billboard. And if, if you don't see a person's face, you know, try looking at another account. If there's a bunch of product photos or photos you're not connecting with, you're probably not going to follow, but you want to see who's behind that account. So you have to make sure that you're getting in your own feed, which sometimes people don't like to hear. Like, I don't want to do pictures of myself, but it's really what's so important about, you know, you using this to tell your story. Absolutely. So what would you tell somebody who is afraid of like the Insta stories and talking on video of their face? Because I see a lot of agriculture accounts, they're doing great where they're doing video or talking about their operation or, you know, what they're doing for the day, but you rarely see them talking face to face. How would you encourage somebody to get over that? You know, it's, it's so important to do and to really connect with people like that. And I like to tell people, you know, whatever's going through your head, people tend to think, oh, I'm thinking about this person. Are they going to judge me for doing this? Or I'm thinking about this person who once left a comment that I just didn't really love. And what do they say? (laughs) And you have to put all that out of your head and think of your ideal follower. And we talk about this a lot in your course and how to connect with that because your ideal follower is likely your ideal customer. And it should be someone who totally supports you, loves your brand, is always, you know, commenting positive things And that should be the only person you feel like you're talking to when you're doing Instagram stories and face-to-face with that camera. Oh, that's good advice. Thank you for that. I think that's incredible. It helps somebody just focus in and talking with the folks that are there supporting you and encouraging you and wanting to see more and connect with you. Yeah, exactly. All right, Mary, what would be your best piece of advice to someone wanting to be a part of the agricultural industry in today's world? I think it's a great industry to get into. I think agriculture has a great story to tell and a a great future ahead. You know, despite what we're hearing, I believe that the American consumer wants to support agriculture and buy from agriculture. And, you know, I'm a big believer in just telling your own story in a positive way and not getting on these soapboxes about, well, you know, there's the impossible burger or the vegans are saying this, you know, that's against my product. You don't need to try to change anyone's mind. And by, you know, saying you have to support agriculture because, you know, we work so hard. I really think that's a negative marketing tool. Guilt does not encourage people to support or buy, or at least not many people. And so I really believe that the most important thing you can do is be positive and get out there and show agriculture in a great light show your product and why it's so great and make people want to be a part of it. Don't guilt trip them into it or tell them they have to support agriculture or support your farmer. And, you know, I think there's a lot of ways to get into the agricultural world. The best is probably to 
you know, intern at an operation if you're interested in what they're doing or find a small way that you can get started. You know, whether you start keeping bees or raising chickens and selling eggs or just start small and see what you love about it and, you know, talk to other people, see if you can help. It doesn't, you know, you might not always get paid for helping, but see if there's ways that you can be involved in other operations and, and learn from there. And usually opportunities will come up. That's so good, Mary. Thank you for that. That was incredible because there are so many opportunities. And I think a lot of folks too, with agriculture, they think of just a farming or ranching operation, but like we've talked about during this episode, there's a need for USDA meat processing plants. And like most folks are driving hours and hours to get their beef cut up and packaged. And there's a, a market right there opening up feed stores all kinds of things, equipment stores. There's so many different ways you can be a part of agriculture without even being in the actual animal production side. And it's a really beautiful industry to be in that can serve so many needs. And you're absolutely right, just being positive with agriculture because there's so many ways to serve even even the vegans, you know, between if you're producing cotton, you're creating, you know, clothing and whatnot. So agriculture serves everybody, whether they're meatless or not. And I really loved your answer on that. Thank you for that. Yeah, I think, you know, we're, everybody's in this together and there's room for everyone, you know, and if someone has a different view than we do, then to each their own. And and we, we believe, we should believe and be pushing as people in agriculture that there's no right way and there's no wrong way. And everybody gets to do their own thing and sing their, the reasons why and their product to the rooftops. And (laughs) I think that is a, a much stronger way to encourage growth in agriculture. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. All right, Mary, so where can we connect with and learn more about your businesses? How can folks sign up for the Small Business from Scratch course? Will you give us all the details? Yes, for sure. So we're Five Mary's Farms on Instagram. The number five is written out. So F-I-V-E, Mary's Farms. And that's the best place to find us and connect with us. From there, I have a link in my profile that has a lot of the other places that you can go. But fivemarysfarms.com is our main website. And shop5marys.com is our e-commerce site where you can buy any of our beef, pork, and lamb or ranch goods and have them shipped to your doorstep. And then my course is, the the short link for it is m5.fyi, since it's an informational course. And that will take you to Small Business from Scratch and has all the information on my course and workshops and the direction that we're going with that and ways that you can sign up. We do usually open the course only twice a year and get everybody all registered together. And we just had a fall launch. So our next full course launch will be in the spring, but we might do a winter social media only launch. So stay tuned for that. And there's places on both websites to join our email list to stay informed with all the latest and greatest happenings for the course and for Five Marys. Uh, Mary, this has been fantastic. Everybody listening in, make sure you give her a follow on Instagram at Five Marys Farms. Check out everything she's got on her websites. Their story is just truly incredible. And Mary, this has been a fantastic conversation. I'm so honored to have had you on the show and I greatly appreciate your time. No problem. I really enjoyed talking with you and thanks for doing this podcast. It's also a great way to tell that story of agriculture. Oh, thank you so much, Mary. I really appreciate that.